Luke 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and they said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, and all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent." So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn with us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. 
And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and, uh, for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Good morning. It's good to be in the Lord's house this morning. It's good to have the word open before us. Thank you, Sean, for reading Luke 24. And I'm excited about looking here at this particular text and, and some other passages that we'll be looking at this morning. Um, I'm thrilled to, to be here celebrating a risen Lord, Savior. And I ask before we get into the text and the teaching time that you would join me in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we acknowledge and celebrate today what you did on that Sunday morning back in first century Palestine. We thank you for raising Jesus from the grave on that third day. In doing so, Father, you not only resurrected your son, but you opened the way for each of us in Christ to have life as well. And so for that, we're grateful this morning. We praise you today for the opportunity to open your life-giving word. And Father, we ask that you would change us, that you would revive us, that you would stir us up to walk by faith, to believe in who you are, to hold fast to the truth of your word. And Father, I pray that you would fan into flame the hearts present here today, a flame that would ignite a passion and overflowing joy of the Lord Jesus Christ, manifesting to the world that Jesus really does live today. And so, Father, we ask that you would open our ears to hear what you desire for us to learn and what you desire for us to walk in. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our risen Savior. Amen. As I was going about Luke 24 this week, I was going through it with the idea of Pre, uh, without this sounding, I guess, a uh, bad thing, <laughs> I was going through it from the perspective of breaking down verse by verse, sort of like what I would do on a, on a typical Sunday, doing the study, the in-depth study, and verse by verse, we'll walk through the text. And, and, the, and the Lord uh, this week was pointing something out to me specific that this text that we're looking at in Luke 24 
is a text that I'm convinced many of you here know. You know Luke 24, 1 through 12. Even the smallest of you here. In fact, this morning I quizzed my own children. They didn't know it was a quiz, but I quizzed them. I came into the room, in both the rooms, and I was singing a song this morning. Up from the grave he arose. That's how they woke up this morning. And I asked a few questions. I asked some questions of some of our younger ones. You know, it was, the sun was just coming out and asked them specifically what happened some 2,000 years ago. Do you remember what, what those women, they were going to the tomb? And, and all I had to do was get it started. And they filled in the blanks. You see, from a little age, from, from a young person, many of us here, we've known the story of Luke 24. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to briefly explain what the text says. I'd like to move from there to what the text means. More specifically, what does the resurrection of Christ mean? And then I'd like to end by spending the majority of time near the end of looking at what then are the implications of this resurrection of Jesus Christ for us today. Okay, that's really the roadmap of where we're going to be this morning. What does it say? What's the text say? Well, let's, let's walk through it. Let's walk through it. It's, it's early in the morning, the third day, according to the Jewish calendar, since Jesus has died on the cross. He's been placed in that, that new garden tomb belonging to the wealthy man, Joseph of Arimathea. Pilate has given his permission for the body of Jesus to be removed from the cross and to be taken by Joseph. Permission is granted after confirming Jesus is what? Dead. That's an important part of this. Jesus is dead before he's placed in the tomb. Jesus' body, the Bible says, is wrapped in linen cloths. The women who had followed Jesus, they saw him, these women saw him die on the cross. These women then followed Jesus as he was being taken to this new garden tomb. And the Bible says that they were around when he was placed in that tomb. In fact, the text says that they even saw how his body was laid in that tomb. They then return home, according to the text... Verse 56 of chapter 23, they prepared spices and fragrant oils. The text says that they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. The story continues when you arrive in Luke 24. You are now taken to early Sunday morning. And on this first day of the week, this group of women... And some that are mentioned in the text from verse 10 of chapter 24. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, some other women. They come to the tomb bearing their spices which they had prepared ahead of time. These spices and oils that they prepared, they were going to anoint the body of Jesus. They were going to anoint the dead body of Jesus. That was their plan. I wonder if they dropped their spices upon arriving at the tomb that morning. I wonder because 
when they came to the tomb, when it at least became in visual sight, I imagine them coming to the tomb and there's this first glance gasp, this shock, this potential problem. Verse 2 of chapter 24 says they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But they found the stone. Notice the but. But they found. See, they came with their spices and they came with their oils to anoint a dead body of this man they love, Jesus. But, but they saw that the stone had been rolled away. In fact, it's interesting when you read Mark's parallel account of this. This was the very thing weighing heavily upon the minds of these women. How are we going to get the stone removed? Who's going to move the stone? They show up. Stones rolled away. Problem solved. They arrive and they immediately notice the stone has been rolled away. And the removal of the stone served as an invitation of sorts. And so the women go inside the tomb, according to the text. Remember, they came to anoint the dead body of Jesus with their spices and oils. But upon entering in, the text says that they found, in verse 3, they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stand there perplexed, wondering what's going on, two men in shining garments appear. The women are frightened stiff, as you might imagine. I'm sure I would have been the same. Stone rolled away, no body of Jesus, and now two men in shining garments have shown up. And they're standing nearby, and the women bowed their faces to the earth in fear. And the men in shining garments, at this point, they speak. Verse 5. Why do you seek the living Among the dead. He is not here, but is risen. And so the men confirm here Jesus' absence from the tomb, and they also speak to his current risen status. There they are in the tomb, seeking out Jesus. They saw him with their own eyes die on the cross. They saw him with their own eyes placed in that tomb. And now they're being told that Jesus is not here. The two men call the women to remember. Remember. It's the very thing we're called to do when we partake of the bread and the cup, isn't it? Remember. These men say, remember. Remember what Jesus said when he was with you in Galilee. That he would be handed over to the Gentiles. He would be crucified. And the third day rise again. That's verse 7. At that point in the text, it says that the women remembered his words. It triggered a reminder. You see, the words of Jesus, church, ought to trigger reminders for us how we are then to live. And these women were reminded when they heard the words of Jesus, oh yeah. And what do they do? They leave in haste. They exit in search of the apostles and those gathered with them. And something tells me that they arrived back home quicker than the journey which they began. And they arrive and they tell the apostles the news and there's this great excitement. But for whatever reason, the text tells us that in explaining to them what happened, 
The women's testimony seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not what? They didn't believe. That's verse 11. Peter himself runs to the tomb to check it out. And I love John's gospel. John's gospel adds a rather humorous race to the tomb. Describing how the other disciple, John, beat Peter to the tomb. Well, Luke's account simply tells us and details Peter running to the tomb. He sees the empty tomb and he sees the linen cloths no longer wrapped around the body of Jesus. He leaves the tomb marveling at what he just saw. That's verse 12. And that's the text in chapter 24, 1 through 12. That's a quick summary of what it says. I believe that many of you, if not all of you, in your own way, could stand up here and be able to communicate what it says. Many of you know what it says. I'd like to go from what it says to, just for a moment, ask the question, what do the facts of the resurrection mean? You see, it's one thing to know what it is. It's another thing to know what it means. Let me just share a few. This is not exhaustive in any way, shape, or form. But there's some meaning behind the resurrection of Christ. First thing I'd like to give to you is that God's word can be trusted. There's some meaning behind the resurrection. One of the meanings behind the resurrection, I believe, is that God's word can be trusted. You see, Jesus spoke on more than one occasion of the details surrounding his death, burial, and resurrection. Turn with me in your Bible, if you have a Bible. If you have one of those uh, high-tech gadgets, you can follow me on that as well. Okay, Luke chapter 9, verses 21 and 22. He strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on what day? The third day. Okay? Luke chapter 9, near the end of the chapter, verse 43. They were all amazed at the majesty of God, but while everyone marveled at all the things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was hidden from them, so that they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about the saying. Fast forward to Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 18. Starting in verse 31, he took the 12 aside and he said to them, Behold, we are going, we, we, we are going up to Jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him and the third day... He will rise again. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them and they did not know the things which were spoken. We're going to see in just a moment certain things they didn't understand. All of a sudden, after the resurrection, they understand. They are given understanding. So Jesus spoke three different times we have recorded for us here in Luke's gospel. 
Jesus also spoke of the necessity of these things. Okay? The necessity of these things. If you just go turn back to Luke chapter 24 for just a moment. We see some of these indicators, some of these words. I love the passage of the road to Emmaus, don't you? Isn't that a wonderful text? Jesus just comes alongside. He's walking with these two guys and he hears them talking. And he says, hey, what conversation do you have? And now, if we take a step back from the text, we understand it's Jesus. We're, we're given insight. We know it's Jesus ahead of time. These guys don't know. And Jesus is asking what conversation's all about. Jesus knows, but he's asking. And then they tell him what's going on, and he says, what things? And they're probably like, where have you been? What, how can you not know what's been going on these last days? And he keeps going, and he keeps going. You get to verse 25. They were hoping that it was he who was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And he gets to verse 25 and he says, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. See, Jesus is saying some words here that are very important. He is giving some credibility, is he not, to the words of the prophets, which spoke of Jesus not only coming, Jesus not only dying, but Jesus also being raised. Oh, foolish of heart, slow to believe. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses, he began at Moses and all the prophets. And he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. It's a wonderful passage, wonderful text. You keep going in chapter 24 and you see this necessity also coming forth. This necessity of his, his word being trusted. And he says in verse 38, when he shows up, he just pops in the midst of him and he says, peace to you. They're frightened, they're terrified. And he says, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? In other words, he's, he's in the midst of his disciples, this group of people that he's already told, this is what's going to happen. Why are you troubled? If you keep going and you look at verse, verses 44 and 46, he says, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things must be fulfilled. The resurrection church is part of the all things that must be fulfilled. The resurrection is a part of that. All things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Verse 45 then says he opened their understanding that they might be able to understand these scriptures. Verse 46, thus it is written and thus it was necessary. Right here, church, let's understand. Jesus is bringing forth, he's speaking of these things being necessary. It was written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer, to die on the cross and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. What do the facts of the resurrection mean? God's word can be trusted. Because the very things he talks about happen. God's word can be trusted. What else? Death has been defeated. We talk about the resurrection. One of the things it means... It brings out this whole idea that death has been defeated. Praise God, it's been defeated. The resurrection of Jesus is unique in that Christ was raised from the dead to live forevermore. You see, no one else can say that. 
No one else can say that. The Bible records for us a few different resurrections. Some before the time of Jesus. You know, we've had, we have Lazarus. We have the son of the widow of Nain. We have the Shunammite son. We have some recorded in the scripture. But none of them remained living indefinitely. <laughs> as far as we know, Lazarus died again. As far as we know, the Shunammite son died again. As far as we know... The son of the widow of Nain died again. Jesus died and yet was raised back to life where he lives forevermore. In fact, the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, that Christ, having been raised from the dead, listen to this, dies no more. Having been raised from the dead, he dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Isn't that a wonderful passage? Having been raised from the dead, Christ dies no more. Death has been defeated. Third meaning behind this resurrection that I'd like to put forth this morning is that change is coming. Change. We think about the resurrection of Christ and what all that means. There's change that occurs, change that is yet to come. We see in the Bible that flesh and blood, this flesh and blood that we now have, our earthen tent, flesh and blood, the Bible says, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We have a heavenly house, eternal in the heavens, says Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, not built with hands. And we earnestly desire to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Our desire is not to be unclothed, but further clothed. Why? That mortality, death, may be swallowed up by life. Where does that life come from? That life comes from Christ, who himself had been raised... By the Father through the power of the Spirit. You see, God has prepared us for this heavenly home and He has guaranteed our reservation. Listen, some of us, when we make a trip and we stay at a hotel, we call and we get our reservation. I don't know if you've ever encountered a situation where you've shown up and your room's not there anymore. You've lost your reservation. Something happened. I want to tell you that because of what Christ did at the cross, because of what God did in raising him from the dead, because of the power by which he raised him, that same power which we'll come to see is the power that is within, abides within those who call upon his name, those who are in Christ, that power guarantees our inheritance to come. That change of address, so to speak, is guaranteed. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 speaks of that, about the Spirit being our guarantee, our earnest payment, if you will, for our inheritance to come. The dead will be, according to Corinthians 15, the dead will be raised incorruptible and shall be what? Changed. We too will be raised to life because of Christ's resurrection. Church, this is good news. If you are in Christ, 
Not only have you died with Christ, been buried with Christ, but the Bible says that you have been raised with Christ. You too will be raised to life. If you read the book of Acts and the epistles of the New Testament in particular, you see what a difference, what a change the resurrection made. Timid and shy disciples in the Gospels transform into confident, faith-filled vessels testifying on behalf of the Lord, preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus and His resurrection. These men were different on the other side of the cross, church. Post-resurrection. The love of God, you see, had been poured out in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's Romans 5, verse 5. The resurrection brought about a change in the way Christ's followers would walk. There would be a changing of the guard, so to speak. Christ, and he spoke about this. Christ was leaving, but the Spirit was about to come, right? I am going to leave so that this other counselor, the Holy Spirit, will come. He speaks to that in John 14, 15, and 16. So you see, no resurrection, no life. No life, no spirit. No spirit, no change. The change is evident on the pages of Scripture in the lives of these men and women filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we could go on, perhaps, on what the facts of the resurrection mean. We can be assured that God's word is true and what he says he will do, he will accomplish What are the implications of Christ's resurrection for your life today? I'd like to just spend the remainder of our time looking at that. What are the implications? So in other words, knowing the facts of the resurrection, what we just went through in Luke 24, and knowing at least in part what the resurrection means, what it entails, how then do you apply this to your life today? Today. If simply hearing the facts of the cross and the empty tomb is sufficient for you. Can I awaken you this morning? Can I awaken you? Maybe some of you physically need to be awakened this morning. In addition to spiritually awakened, revived, fan into flame. This good news. It's good news. You see, you were rescued. If you're in Christ, you were rescued from darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light. Why? That you might live. Live. It seems like we have many receptacles, earthen tents, but very few that live today. Live. We can live, and we're going to sing about this later today. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because he lives, I can live and I have life everlasting. So how does this apply? Let me give us a few things to consider this morning. First of all, 
the implications of Christ's resurrection for your life. It's a basis for righteousness with the Lord. A righteousness. Righteousness. Listen, Romans chapter 4 has some really important things here to say about this righteousness. In chapter 4, verses 22 through 25, he's just been talking about Abraham. And he gives Abraham, puts him forward as this picture and this illustration of one who was holding on to the Lord in hope. Remember the story, Abraham and Sarah, and they were getting old, and, and they were, he thought, oh, how can, how can this happen? You know, and Sarah was kind of wondering as well. But we see that even in the midst of their old age, God performs exactly what he says he's going to perform. He blesses them with a child. He says, in your, your seed, through your seed, Isaac, this is where I'm going to take things. Through Isaac, your seed. It's not going to be through someone else. It's going to be this child of yours through your own body. As unbelievable as that might have been at the time, God sees that it happens. And we see that from the text, Abraham believed. And that according to the text, he credited that belief to him as righteousness. Verse 22 says, therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone, listen, that it was imputed to him or transferred to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed or transferred to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our what? Our offenses, our sins, and was raised because of what? Our justification. You see the connection? He was raised for our justification. What's justification? Simply put, justification is a declaration that you are not guilty. Justification is what helps us understand this righteous standing that we have in Christ. In fact, we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. It says, God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself. He did that on the cross, began that reconciling work, not imputing their trespasses to them. You see, because that's what we really deserved was to have our trespasses. We were the ones, <laughs> it was us. But God in sending Jesus began the reconciling work by not imputing these trespasses to us. Verse 21 says, He made him, that's Christ, who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So this basis for our righteousness, though the resurrection has a very important aspect for our righteousness. When God looks down and he sees us and he sees that we're covered by what? The Bible says we are covered by the blood. We're covered by his blood. We who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're covered. We're justified. We've become righteous. Not in our own doing. What else does the resurrection mean for us today? The resurrection is our basis for walking in newness of life. Our basis for walking in newness of life. Romans chapter 6 verse 4 says that we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory or the power of the Father. Even so we also should walk in newness of life. Newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly, don't miss that word certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Romans 6, 11, after speaking about 
Our union with Christ, which is a wonderful, wonderful force to understand here. Our union with Christ. In verse 11, he says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Reckon yourselves, consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Christ died. And if we've been united with him, we've been united with him in his death. That's what Paul says in in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. And it's it's not I. I don't no, no longer live. But now I live in this body, in the flesh. I live by faith in the one who has loved me and given himself for me. With Christ, we now are to reckon ourselves to be dead, indeed, to sin, but to be alive to God in Christ. And then that wonderful passage in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, which says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? A new creation. He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Because of what Christ did, because of his death, because of his resurrection, being raised from the dead, and us being in Christ. Our basis for walking in newness of life, the resurrection, points that out to us. I believe thirdly, as we think about implications today for Christ's resurrection, our lives are to bear fruit to God now. They're to bear fruit to God, in fact, and not to death. In Romans chapter 7, he says, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another. He's just given the illustration of marriage, right? And after giving us the illustration of marriage, he's talking about this whole idea that you may be married to another, to him, in fact, who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. There's a purpose there, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. You see, church, there was a day when you were bearing fruit to death. When the instruments, the members of your body were instruments to sin. You were a slave to sin and you were carrying this all out for death. There was nothing fruitful about it. But because of what God did through his son Jesus Christ at the cross, raising him from the dead. We now, we now can bear fruit to God for him, for his purpose. And we're called to that as new creations. In fact, Galatians, when Galatians 5, which we, most of us in here know, we know that passage about the fruit of the Spirit. Well, that fruit of the Spirit. Well, we're talking about bearing fruit to God. What kind of fruit are we talking about? The fruit that comes to us and works in us by way of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what? We know what that is, right? Love and joy and peace, long-suffering. All of these things that are talked about, these are the fruit. That come out as a result of a new creation. As a result of being in Christ. As a result of what Christ did. We have much to be thankful for. What other implication today of the resurrection? Not only are we to bear fruit to God. But our service to God. 
is rendered through the Holy Spirit now. Our service to God. In that same passage in Romans 7, verse 6, it says, But we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by. We were held by law. Remember, remember James talks about this a little bit and talks about if at one point we transgress the law, we've broken the what? The entirety of the law. And elsewhere he speaks of this whole idea of, you know, in Galatians of being justified, how foolish it is to consider and think that we can be justified by keeping the entirety of the law. But praise God, he sent Jesus to do the very thing we couldn't do. We couldn't because our, in our flesh we were weak, Romans 8 says. And he came and he, he took care of that problem. He accomplished the entirety of that. In fact, Romans 10, 4 says that Christ himself is the telos. He is the end of the law for righteousness sake. We've been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit. Galatians 2.16 says, A man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we who have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. Our service to God is rendered through the Holy Spirit now because Christ was raised from the dead. This is all connected together with the things we're talking about. A fifth basis, a fifth understanding of this resurrection for us today is that the love of Christ compels us now to live our days for Him. The love of Christ compels us to live our days for Him. And we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus. That one, one has died for all, then all died. And he did die for all, Paul says. He makes that statement sure. He did. He died for all. Why? That those who live should live no longer for themselves. I'm going to stop right there. We live in a world today that by and large lives for themselves. Caters to themselves. We even as Christians, we do a pretty good job a lot of times living for ourselves. The Bible says here that Christ, who went to the cross, who died, God so loved the world, he gave Christ, and the love of Christ ought to compel us, Paul says here in this passage of Scripture, ought to compel us because we understand Christ died. And he died that those who live now should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. You see, the resurrection makes a difference in how we're to be living even yet today. The love of Christ compels us to live our days for him now. We think about the resurrection of Christ and I hope we understand and know with certainty that we have hope and we have assurance. We have hope and we have assurance today, unlike that of the world. First Thessalonians chapter four. In First Thessalonians chapter four, beginning in verse 13, Paul says, "I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, right? lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe, listen to this verse, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, 
Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep or die in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout of the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. And I pray that the reading of them this morning does that. Comforts you. It's intended to be a comfort. It's intended to be a reminder of what this resurrection of Christ is all about. And how it is to be lived out in our own lives. We have hope. We have assurance, unlike that of the world. We also have a peace that the world doesn't have, right? Jesus says that. This peace that he gives is different. It's unlike that of the world. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 says, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Talking about Christ. But was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. You see, that's the purpose. That's on the other end. He did these things so that your faith and your hope would be in God. We have a hope. We have an assurance. But we also have a present mission, don't we? You know, there are many wonderful things for us to look forward to being in Christ. He's not done with us yet. If we are here, if we are breathing, he has something for us to be doing for him. We have a mission. Luke 24, in fact, if we go back to Luke 24, we see at the end, near the end of Luke 24, those verse 48 and 49, Jesus' words as he's speaking, he says, and you are witnesses of these things. Talking about all that went on while he was still there. All that when you are witnesses, he says to his disciples. And then he says, behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. The promise. Who's the promise? The promise is the spirit, is he not? The Holy Spirit. I send the promise of my father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem. Listen, tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. You see, Christ himself had power. He was given power by his heavenly father. But Jesus says, now to his disciples, before he ascends, he says, you need to wait in Jerusalem. Terry, wait until you are endued with power from on high. Well, that's good news for the disciples. But what's that mean for me and you here today? That same power shows up on the scene in Acts chapter 2. Peter read a passage of scripture this morning from Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost. What happened on the day of Pentecost? The day of Pentecost, that Holy Spirit power came down, which was not recognizable to many in that day. They were wondering what it all meant. In fact, they thought that this was simply the product of some drunken men, didn't they? These men must be drunk. And Peter stands up and emphatically says, no, 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 men of Israel, listen. This is what was spoken already in the prophet Joel. 
That the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on men and women, on maidservant, on manservant, your sons and your daughters. It's going to go beyond. It's not just leaders in the church. No, all are going to be those that know and believe Christ, that is, are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Joel prophesied this. He talked about this. The scriptures speak to it. The Spirit was going to come. And he called them to wait for this power from on high. Church, the mission that we have in the present. As we understand what happened on Acts 2. I would go backwards even to Acts chapter 1. Because Acts chapter 1 really explains the mission in clarity. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Hopefully it's a familiar verse because we've covered it a lot over the last three summers. As we've been covering the book of Acts. And Jesus says right there in Acts 1.8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. No spirit, no power. Let me say it this way. You may think you have power, but it's not Holy Spirit power. No spirit, no power. When the Spirit comes, you will receive power. And so what are we supposed to do with that power? Think present mission. What's the resurrection done for us? What what is it all about? What is the implication for us today? There is a present mission because he died, because he was raised. And he was raised by this power, this power that I'm talking about that has to do with our present mission, church. This power. You shall be witnesses to me. With this power... Jesus says, you are to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. See, I think sometimes we we like to simply get lost in the facts and the recitation of the gospel. The facts and recitation of what happened on that first day of the week. We know what happened. But do we think much daily about what the cross and what this empty tomb and being raised is all about for us? Do we we consider at all what it means to walk in newness of life, to serve in the newness of the spirit? Do we consider at all our present mission? Yes, we look forward to and we, we celebrate that we have a hope and we have this assurance of being with Christ, of being raised with Christ, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But do we consider our present mission? In light of what Christ has done. Ephesians chapter 1 speaks to this power. And it speaks in the midst of the prayer that Paul is speaking forth. And he talks about this exceeding greatness of his power. Toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Which he worked in Christ. When he raised him from the dead. That power which God worked in raising Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The same power is the power that is made available to us. The same power that comes to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. This person in the Holy Spirit whom the Bible tells us abides with us forever. I don't know about you. But I believe much of this power that I'm speaking of has been forfeited in in these days that we live in. It's 
It's like we're walking around with blinders without this realization of what the Word says. Have we forgotten what the Word says? Have we forgotten this ministry of the Holy Spirit? Have we forgotten what God has done to see that we can live this life as He's called us to live? You see, there are, there are going to be, and we're in the middle of the days. There are no surprises here. All of you are well aware of what's been going on in our state government over these last week or two, three. You're well aware of what's happening. It's significant, it's important that as we look to the resurrection of Christ, as we look to what he has done and what he has finished, what he has accomplished, and we understand that right now there's purpose, there's mission for us right now, he's given to us. And we can fulfill and walk those things out by faith because he lives. We can do these things because we're in Christ. We can do, in fact, all things through Christ who gives us what? Strength. Will we stand upon what we know to be true? Or will we open the door for something else besides truth to come in? Are we going to be strong to stand as God has given us strength to stand in these days ahead, which he said, we're going to have trials and tribulations. It's part of it. As one who believes in Christ and believes in what he did at the cross, what he did and accomplished as God raised him from the dead by that power, that power that works mightily within you if you are in Christ. Will you walk as though you have been given that power? It's almost like this, church. We have been given this. Ephesians 1 recounts the unsearchable riches of Christ that we have been given. And it's like the beggar who for the longest time had been living on peanuts. He's been living on nothing. And all of a sudden he gets a notice and says that he has received an inheritance. And he's got now millions of dollars at his disposal. And yet that beggar continues to live like he had been living. All the while he has a treasure house of riches at his disposal. I think about that and I think about who we are in Christ. We've been given so much. We have all of these riches, the riches of heaven. And we live oftentimes as though none of that really matters. We live oftentimes as though we don't have access to some of these things. We live oftentimes as though we are powerless. We are powerful in Christ. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Church, it's time that we live in this way. I'm not talking about some radical, let's go pick it and, and, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about living in light of what Christ has done, what Christ has accomplished, understanding that he has endued us with power, those who are in Christ. And that power is to be used for a purpose, to carry out a mission in our days remaining here, to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, will you live as a witness in these days ahead for the Lord Jesus Christ? All of you who are in Christ here today, I'm asking you that question. Will you live for Jesus Christ? As you consider your answer, know that he died for you, that you might live forever. And that's the good news.
of the resurrection. Let's pray. Father, thank you. One of the songs speaks to the, how your dying breath has brought us life. Father, I pray that you would renew and refresh us this morning. As children of yours, in light of this hope that's yet to come, this hope that we hold on to, which serves as an anchor for our soul. Father, I pray that we would be about purifying ourselves just as you are pure in the meantime as we look forward to that time. May our feet walk in your path. And we pray that, Lord, as we walk, Lord, we would be led by you, our great shepherd. We thank you, Lord, that as our great shepherd, we shall not ever be in want. And even in those moments when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we need not fear any evil. For you are with us. Your rod and staff, they comfort us. Father, we thank you that you have given of yourself through your son Jesus. And that, Father, what that means for us is we now have become righteous, the standing that we have in you, and we can live in such a way now, Father. We've been granted access to you by faith. We've been justified. And Father, for all of these things, Lord, I pray that we would embrace them, that we would relish them, that we would celebrate them each day of our lives, this wonderful gift of salvation that you've given to us, transferring us from darkness, bringing us into this kingdom of light. Father, may we be children who walk in the light as you are in the light. May we be strong. May we be bold and mighty to stand for you in these days that are wicked and perverse and dark. May we trust with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge you. Oh, Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this resurrection of Christ, for the implications of what that means for each one of us in Christ here today. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.